Good morning. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, our passion at Real Life Church is to get up here and teach you that faith in Jesus Christ um, gives you a place of complete forgiveness, complete acceptance, complete security as sons and daughters of God. The grace of God has been lavished upon you. And as a child of God, as a true child of God, you are greatly beloved. Not based on your performance, but in Christ and through Christ. God loves you immensely. God loves you right now. Uh, Not just some future version of you when you will finally be a better person. But God loves you and likes you and sings over you and enjoys you right now, this morning. And the salvation and love and grace that come to us through faith in Christ, through faith alone in Christ, is amazing. It's astounding. And I know it's Josh's passion, it's my passion uh, especially on Sunday morning, that you know that we would feel that, that we would know that, that just the incredible grace in which we stand, that we would know this this peace of God that we have completely apart from our from our own uh, performance, that we are accepted in Christ, that we are so beloved uh, by God, and I I I, I trust that we communi- faithfully communicate that to you. But James says that there is a kind of faith that does not give you that standing. There is a kind of faith that does not save, that does not place you on this ground of security, of intimacy, of grace and love. He will tell us that faith that has no works with it is not real faith. He will tell us that there is such a thing as a dead faith and a living faith. You know, I'm not sure where I heard it, but, but there's a story about a group of demons uh, having a discussion about how to keep people away from a genuine relationship with God. And one demon suggested that they tell people that Jesus Christ never existed. Another demon said, no, tell people that there's no heaven or hell. But finally, A very clever demon said, no, tell everyone that there is a God, that Jesus saves, and that you must pray to receive him, but tell them all you have to do is say the words, then you can go back to living for yourself just like you always have. It is this kind of deception that James addresses in these verses. James asks, if someone says he has faith, but has no works, can that faith save him? And the obvious answer is, it will not. We are saved by faith, yet there is a kind of faith that will not save you from spiritual death and darkness. You cannot come to Christ by faith, by a living faith, by a true faith, and remain the same person you were. If there is no outward change of life and actions, then James says that is a kind of faith 
that will not, that cannot save you. Now, the works that James is talking about could be summed up as loving God and loving others or obeying God, being obedient to God, trusting and obeying God. He's not talking about perfection, but progress, substantial progress. Living faith connects you with a living person. Living faith connects you with a living Christ, and that will result in substantial movement in your life in the direction of actions and obedience in a transformed life. Just like coming into contact with a 220-volt electric wire has an effect on you, coming to Jesus through faith changes everything. And James says, if that is not there, then there is no assurance of this incredible standing and the blessings of grace that we've just talked about. Now, I don't wish uh, this morning, I, I, I sincerely do not wish to cause any true child of God to question their salvation. But the Bible is clear that many fool themselves into thinking that they are saved when they are not. I do not think this is a widespread problem here at Real Life Church, but in the church as a whole today, it is a huge problem. Faith and godly living go together. They are inseparable. Many of our cultural idols, uh, movie stars, uh, famous singers, athletes, uh, people that we read about, hear about in the media... Some of them, or many of them, will sometimes state somewhere that they have had some kind of religious experience or some kind of spiritual experience or that they are a Christian, yet they live, many of them continue to live in sexual immorality, uh, continual abuse of drugs and alcohol, uh, dress grossly immodestly, uh, and just indulge in worldly living. And many Christians will talk about how wonderful it is that such and such a star actress or athlete or singer is a Christian. But I'm not sure that James would see it that way. I think he would say, you know, singing one gospel song does not mean a person has a living faith. He would say, can that faith save you? We need to have the same kind of view of faith that James does and not be so gullible. The kind of faith that does not cause a person to change his or her lifestyle is very popular today. People want the comfort of having faith in God, but they do not want a God who transforms them into new people. Just... Just this year at at Easter, just a little over a week ago, at the annual White House Easter prayer breakfast, the role of scripture reading was given to a Reverend Jasmine Beach Ferrara, who is an outspoken lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender activist. Obviously, something in her wants the comfort of religion. But she does not want a God who makes any 
moral demands on her. Paul said in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. John said, if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Jesus said at the day of judgment, many will say, Lord, Lord. In other words, they will say, Lord, I knew you. I know your name. I know who you are. I've said your name. I've talked to you. But Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, he says, you may have called me Lord, but you habitually lived in lawlessness or unrestrained sin. Your life was no different from an unbeliever. And the most shocking part of this story is that Jesus says many, many will say this. Many have been brought up in the church. Uh, Many have done the Sunday school thing, have said the prayer, uh, have made a profession of faith at baptism, but they have never had a faith that saves. Many children uh, brought up in Christian homes are most susceptible to this. They, They know the language. They know the words. They notice how to sound like a Christian. But genuine salvation changes the heart. It changes us from the inside out. And it produces fruit and changes the course of our lives. It changes our affections, our desires, our interests. It changes the way we live. And if that has never happened to you, if, if, there's, if there's anyone here this morning that that has never happened to, to you, I urge you to come to Jesus Christ today. And place a real living trust and faith in Him. Right right during this message or perhaps afterwards, put your trust in Him to save you and call upon Him to save you. Now, I I do not believe this passage of Scripture uh, is to primarily lead us into an academic discussion of Paul versus James. And quite frankly, most of the... Met sermons and commentaries that are read on this, I felt that was sort of where all that it, all that it seemed to do or accomplish. Uh, to make that our focus would would cause us to miss what the Holy Spirit has to say to us through James. But I will say this: James and Paul are not in conflict. Paul, when he p- preached so strongly, so powerful, faith alone, salvation through faith alone. He was battling one enemy of the gospel. James is battling another enemy of the gospel. Paul was fighting the error of trusting in something in addition to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. James is fighting the error of a lifeless faith, a counterfeit faith, a faith that does not make one whit of difference in our lives. All through church history, if you know anything about church history at all, you see the cycles of great revival where great numbers of people turn to Christ and then are taught the great truths of the Bible. And our nation has been the recipient of that. But then the next generation comes along. That, the, the first generation that hears these truths and is are radically saved and amazingly saved, they have children and those children have children. And it eventually, in some generation down the road, 
the children all still know the correct doctrines, but there is no spiritual life. It becomes mere words. And James says that where there is no spiritual life, there is no saving faith. So again, I emphasize, we know that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for our sins. Romans 3.28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There is no question about that at all. We are saved by faith, not works, but that faith must be a faith that works. So James is very interested in this question. Is your faith a faith that works? Is your faith a living faith? Is your faith alive or is it dead? And first of all, we're going to look at characteristics of dead faith, and then we're going to wind up by looking at characteristics of living faith. So what are the characteristics of, a, of this dead faith? Number one, dead faith has no good works or godly living with it. In other words, it doesn't change anything about a person. It doesn't change how you talk. It doesn't change how you live. It doesn't change how you treat people. It doesn't change how you deal with people in business. It doesn't change how you respond to people in need. Verse 15 and 16, if a brother or sister is without clothes and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Or the New American Standard says, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So I think we can all pretty much understand this story. If if you or me or any of us are in a situation where we we are faced right before us with real need, with real hunger, with real nakedness, and we would just say, be blessed, you know, go home, be blessed and be filled. To just say that means nothing. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's almost, it's absurd, actually. It's, it's useless. And so, can you have a real love without acts of love in the face of need? Of course not. And the point is, just as, just as words of love and compassion are worthless without acts of love and compassion. So faith without acts of faith is worthless. You know, a mere profession of faith is like a mere profession of love. It's, just, it's absolutely useless. It amounts to nothing. Real faith cannot be separated from doing good and godly things. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, uh, John Bunyan has a character called Mr. Talkative. And he writes this about Mr. Talkative. He talks of prayer, of repentance, of the new birth, and of faith, but he knows only talk of them. I have been in his family, 
and his house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg yolk is of flavor. The common people that know him say, a saint abroad and a devil at home. Real faith is not just talk. It has to move into the realm of action. Real faith does move move us into the realm of action and a changed life. You know, I thought of a verse this week that maybe would not seem to apply to this passage, but to me it really struck home with what James was saying. It's from Revelation 12, 11. And it says, And they overcame him, talking about saints overcoming the the enemy, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. They did not love their own lives even when faced with death. And I was just so impressed with the combination of faith and deed. By their words, they make a confession of faith. In the blood of the Lamb. But together with that faith, they willingly accept death for their faith. They do not flinch in the, in, in the face of facing death for their own faith. And it's that combination of the word of your testimony and the willingness to lay down your life that is true Christian faith. It's that combination. There's that consistency, that connection between talk and action, between faith and works. The second characteristic of of dead faith is a compartmentalized life. You know, and I don't really have a verse from uh, James 2 for this, except the whole passage. (laughs) The whole passage seems to talk about a compartmentalized life. You know, I grew up in a church... Uh, that just happened to have several men who owned uh, businesses. And when I gradu- graduated from college, the first job I took was, was at a business owned by one of these men in my church. I knew him. He knew me. Uh, I'd seen him sing in the church choir. He was a longtime member of the church. But the first time that I went in to interview for a job with this man... He started out by telling me this. I just want you to know, Reed, that I am not the same man at work that you knew at church. I lead a kind of Jekyll and Hyde life. I got to commend him for his honesty, but I was sitting there in in a state of shock. And I really could not imagine what he meant by that, but it did not take me very many days in the job to find out. This man from my church... Uh, had a violent temper. He had a mouth that spewed out cursing and foul words. And I think the worst thing of all was just how emotionally abusive he was to people. He led a compartmentalized life. At least he had the honesty to admit it. But James would say that is evidence of a dead not a living faith. Not to, not to make too many examples of this, but I think this is so important. 
Uh, many years ago, when Luke was actually a little boy or a young, much younger boy, um, he and his friends were out in, in, in my office. I had my office out in, out in the garage. I worked out in my garage for years. Uh, they were out there, had a computer out there, and they were playing computer games on a Saturday. And he came in, he and his friends came in, and, and uh, they said, Dad, come out and listen to this man and woman screaming at each other on your phone. And uh, so, so I, I went out, and they, he, Luke and his friends thought it, was, thought it was funny, and they were coming, hey, this is really, this is really cool, listen to this, you know. Uh, but I went out there, uh, and it was, it was a couple that, uh, that, that I was, bu- was building a house for. And they had uh, called me and left, left a question uh, on my answering machine. But then apparently they, they thought they had hung up their phone but proceeded to have a vicious fight with their phone off the hook and my answering machine still running. And what was so sad was that this was a couple who had always talked about going to Bible studies. They, even t- they had talked about their heart for missions. They were involved in some work with some mission agency. And yet what I heard on, the an- on my answering machine that morning was two people repeatedly asking God to damn the other, calling each other vulgar names, uh, and just speaking to each other in this violent rage. Um, I erased the message quickly, and it, I was just almost trembling with, with disappointment and shock uh, and disillusionment. But many professing Christians think that living a compartmentalized life is the normal Christian life. And I tell you, it is not. It is not. Now, surely, I, I acknowledge, we all say and do things that we would not be anxious for others to hear. We all stumble in many ways, as James will tell us later. We are not perfect. But even in our private lives, in our marriages, in how we live on our, on our own at work when other people aren't seeing us, if, if there was a phone off the hook and the whole church was hearing us on some kind of answering machine, they, they ought to hear a consistent life and faith. In our private lives, in our business lives, in our married lives, uh, we, should, we should bear the fruit of a genuine faith. And a consistently compartmental, compartmentalized life is evidence of concern, at least, that faith may not be genuine, that it may be a dead faith. The the third characteristic of a dead faith is is it is not verifiable. There is is nothing to verify it. Verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So James kind of brings up this hypothetical person, whoever that may be. Uh, someone will say this, uh, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by what I do. It's impossible to show someone your faith without deeds, or without actions. 
Faith is an invisible transaction that takes place in your heart. No one can see it. The new birth, being born of God, is an invisible event. The Holy Spirit coming into your, your spirit, into your heart, the Holy Spirit's presence in you is invisible. The only way anyone can ever know if you have these things is by the outward changes that they produce. And if these inward, invisible things are real, then they will bring forth good works. They will bring forth godly living, godly speaking, loving actions. Jesus himself always taught that faith was verifiable. He said, by your fruits, you shall know them. Or by their fruits, you shall know them. Your life, my life, should give outward verification that we have a living faith. Your life should give verification that you are a Christian. And so, you know, at times we need to, we need to ask ourselves, can, can others see that I am a Christian by the things that I'm interested in? Can, can they see it in how I love, love my wife or how you love your husband? Can they see it in the things that excite you? Can they see it in the things that you give your life to? Can they see it in the grace and compassion you show? Can they see it in the way that you serve sacrificially? Can they see that verification? The fourth characteristic of a dead faith is that it is merely a mental belief. Uh, Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. When we talk about putting faith in Christ, that does not mean that you just believe He existed. Faith in Christ is to trust Him. It is to place your confidence in Him as Lord and Savior. It is to place all your hope in Him to save you. Real, real faith involves your whole being. It involves you from the inside out, not just, not just a thought in your mind. It involves your heart and soul, your whole being, whereas dead faith, only involves the mind. It's disconnected from your life and your heart. I've read uh, surveys of Americans asking different questions like if they believe in God, if they believe in Jesus, if they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if they believe in heaven or hell. And I'm always surprised at actually the high percentage of Americans who say they do believe in these things. But for so many, it is just a belief in the existence of these things. And James says, that's the same kind of faith that demons have. And it doesn't doesn't save anybody. It doesn't place anybody in this standing of grace and peace and love and salvation and acceptance and adoption. It doesn't place anybody in the state of these incredible blessings that... Any, every true child of God has. Then James move, moves on to, to, to show us what living faith 
looks like. Faith that saves. Living faith is like Abraham's and Rahab's. Their faith worked. It changed the course of their lives. They had a faith that worked. They showed that they had saving faith by their works, by their actions. Saving faith leads to obedience, uh, not just one time, but as a pattern of living. And that's what we see in these two examples. And I don't know if this helps, but I've heard this saying, it is not faith or works, it is not faith and works, but faith that works that is living faith. And we certainly see that in both Abraham and Rahab. They had a faith that works. Verse 21 and 22. Was not our Abraham, our ancestor Abraham, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. We don't have time to go into all the story of Abraham and Isaac. Many of you know it. If you don't know it, I encourage you to go back and read it, find it. But because Abraham's faith in God was real, because he actually really did believe God, it made him willing to give up the most precious possession he had in this world. That was his son. His son Isaac the son that God promised him. And, you know, you think if God promises you something and then asks you to offer it up, to to give it up, um, that that takes an amazing, that takes a a, a definite amount of, of trust and genuineness of faith to trust in God to do that. The Bible says Abraham was justified by faith when he first believed God's promise to give him a son. That's clear. James even tells us that or quotes that verse in this passage. Genesis 15, 6, when God first spoke the promise to Abraham, it says, then he or Abraham believed in the Lord and God credited it to him, credited it to him as righteousness. But Abraham's Courage and willingness to sacrifice that son in obedience to God many years later confirmed or proved that faith. It showed it to be genuine. And in that sense, it justified Abraham. James says in verse 22, you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. There is a sense in which the act of faith, the actions of faith, complete or perfect your inner invisible faith. Verse 25, In the same way was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Again, I don't have the time to go into this whole story, but Joshua chapter 2, when the spies from Israel came to Jericho, this single sinful woman named Rahab 
responded to their message by saying, I know that the Lord your God is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. She responded with faith to this God. And she was saved by her faith. But she did not merely or only say, I believe. Her profession of faith affected the course of her life from that point forward. Her profession of faith affected her actions. And she proceeded to risk her own life. She proceeded to risk her own safety by hiding these Israelite spies and smuggling them, helping to smuggle them out of the city. And the reality is that you and I will act on what we truly believe. We will not act on what we just say we believe, but we will truly act on what we we will act on what we truly believe. I mean, if you believed that this building that we're in this morning, if you believed that it was on fire, you will get up out of your seat and leave. If you truly believe it's on fire, if you saw smoke and something, you know, you, there was enough indication you believed that it was on fire, you would get up and leave. But if you were to say, I believe this building is on fire, but just continue to sit on your seat, that is a dead faith that is not really believing. True faith, what you truly believe, always leads to action. And all of the examples of faith in Hebrews 11 are men and women who did something. And if you read through that chapter, it's by faith so-and-so did this. By faith, Noah built an ark for the salvation of his household. He did that. He went through years and years. I don't know how many years of building an ark, the massive project. He took on this massive project because he believed God, because there was real faith, and real faith leads always to action. Verse 23, And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Or this could be translated, and I believe it might be a better translation. He is justified by what he does and not by faith that is alone. Because faith that is alone doesn't save. James has already told us that. But faith that is not alone. I'm sorry, you know, I misspoke. Uh, He he was justified by what he does and not by faith alone or by faith that is alone. I hope I made that clear. In this verse, it says Abraham was justified. He was declared right with God, declared to be the friend of God simply by believing God's promise. He was called the friend of God. Yet the fulfillment of that, James says, or the completion of that came when he demonstrated that faith by offering Isaac. So he was justified by a faith that works. And the same is true for you and me. You are saved from the moment you genuinely believe and place your faith in Jesus Christ. But that initial germ of faith must be proved out to be the kind of faith that changes your actions and the course of life. 
So when James says that a man is not justified by faith alone, he means a man is not justified by a faith that is alone or a faith that is severed from works and from change and from a different life. And the final verse in this passage, verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds or without works is dead. This is a powerful picture. It's a a sobering picture. Uh, Most of us have have seen a a loved one at a funeral service. We've We've seen a body without life. And James says, when the breath or the spirit of a person is not there, the body is dead. In other words, you cannot have a living human being without a body and a spirit. And you can't have true spiritual life without faith and good works. They're inseparable. Now, this message from James is, is, is not only a statement that real faith will produce works. It, it, it is a message that states that. Uh, but I believe it, it is a powerful exhortation to us who do possess genuine faith to put our faith to work. Let us, let us heed what James has to say, that faith without works is dead. Act, act out your faith. I believe at least part of the the exhortation of this message this morning is to act out your faith in your real life situations today. If you believe that there is a reward for serving the Lord, then serve Him. If you believe that God is good, then praise Him and thank Him. If you believe that there is a reward for those who love righteousness, then seek to live in righteousness with all your heart. If you believe that God is pleased by doing good to others, then make it your aim in life to do good to others. Go serve and give and work and do things for others. Let your faith show in going out to meet real needs in people's lives. When worries and fears press in upon you, show your faith by trusting God. If you believe that God is to be loved and worshipped above all else in your life, then put the Lord above every other person or every, and every other activity or habit in your life. Show your faith in God by pursuing the things of God. Show your faith by your passion to meet with other believers, to pray with others, to listen to God as He speaks by His Spirit and in His Word. Show your faith in your attitudes. Let your attitudes show that you are a believer in God. Let your attitude show that you believe God is good and that all things are working for your good. Express your faith in your countenance. Let it show on your face. Express your faith in your words and even in your tone of voice. Let your faith work. Show that you have faith in God by how you respond to others. I think it's really important that as believers, those who love the Lord, those who have genuine faith, that we seek to remove all discrepancies between what we say we believe and how we live. Let's be eager to show that we have a living faith. Peter put it this way, Therefore, my brothers, 
Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He basically was just saying the same thing that James said. To your faith, add goodness. To goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance. He's saying, to your, let your faith change your life. And as you live out your faith, you will make certain that you have a, have a living faith. You will make certain your calling and election, as Peter says. In other words, as you act out your faith, it, it gives your, your salvation is not based on your works, but as you work out your faith, it gives you this incredible sense of peace and assurance. It gives you encouragement. It gives you joy. It gives you, it, it is the completion of that inner invisible faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for addressing this need in our lives this morning. Uh, we ask you by the power of your spirit to make it real and living for us. And we, uh, we just ask you to make these things clear. Let us not forget them. Let us be impacted by them. By the power of your spirit, we trust you to do this in the name of Jesus. We pray, amen.